They brought the heat today, huh? I was excited. We were talking about the songs this week, and uh, um, I told Jill, I said, uh, you know, don't don't feel like you can't add songs. We always do the three in the in the front and the one in the in the back at the end of the service. And uh, I'm glad she took me up on that because she had a last minute kind of uh, word from the spirit that we just need us to move some stuff around and not, and keep all the songs, but uh, but add to them. And so uh, I was really I was excited all week when I saw what the songs were. I love all those songs. Um, some of them uh, so fitting for what's coming. And it's, I'm not surprised by that anymore. Um, I used to be. I, I used to get kind of surprised when uh, the songs would work out so well with the message, but um, really I've just come to expect that anymore. We don't do any talking. Uh, sometimes we'll, we'll, we'll mention, hey, maybe a song about this or that thing, but uh, for the most part it's just uh, it's just spirit-led, and, and it, it just happens. Um, some of the words uh, that are in those songs, the Waymaker, Miracle Worker, there's a lot of fear going on. There's a lot of you know you can't get on social media without seeing all the fear being exchanged and kind of uh, multiplied. We, what do we do when we get together? We just kind of panic more, right? But uh, Jesus, God is a, the, the way maker, the miracle worker, promise keeper. We we don't have to worry that that any of these promises are not going to come true, uh, and uh, we have nothing to fear. The great I am. Heaven is real, and death is a lie. What is it? But fear is the ultimate trajectory of fear is death, right? That's where it all comes from. We're, we're, we're self-preserving species. We want to stay alive as long as we can, and and uh, so so fear ultimately comes from a place of of, of death uh, and sin. And, and we see that death in this case is a lie because it's not our future. Uh, in Jesus, our future is not death, but life beyond the grave. I love the line from uh, Miracles. Silencing my every fear. Why? Because we believe in you. As I say so often, that word belief means putting our trust in, our confidence in. Not in ourselves, because we, we let ourselves down all the time, but we put our confidence and our trust, we believe in him. And why wouldn't we? Why wouldn't we want to believe in him? He stands in the fire beside you. Uh, you, nothing you go through in life is on your own, necessarily. You might walk away from God, but he didn't walk away from you. And so just uh, bask in the truth of those words this morning um, the, as they prepare your heart for the message to follow. I must be doing some extra moving up here. My, my mic is... I'll figure this out one day. Uh, or I won't. Uh, if we get the next slide up, um, we used this one last week, and uh, I told you this is Common Core uh, for thank you. This is uh, cursive for thank you. Uh, quite a bit of thank yous to hand out this week. Um, if you were at all involved in cleaning and sanitizing this building this week, uh, I just appreciate you from the bottom of my heart. Um, the fact that those things get done by people that aren't me, allows me to focus on what God's called me to do. And so I, I uh, never want to neglect to say thank you uh, for those that are involved in doing that, especially uh, with a special attention given to the children's ministry. Um, I appreciate... I appreciate uh, each week we have a, a team of people that, that does all the cleaning and gets this, gets this place ready um, each week for us to come mess it up on Sundays, and then they come do it again. Uh, to clean it up for us, but uh, special care and attention was given this week to uh, making this, with everything going on outside of here, uh, to make it as clean and disinfected as we possibly could for you and your children. 
Uh, so I thank them for that. Uh, those that were working uh, hard this week in the garage, uh, if you saw the slide earlier that Ed was showing, um, if you've seen the garage itself, uh, uh, that was it wasn't even it wasn't even safe to walk in there. Um, and I say that kind of tongue in cheek, but it, it was true. There's so so much stuff in there, and so so many hours were put into cleaning that out and getting things ready for uh, those of you that want to take some things can take some things, uh, or just to be sold to those that want to buy them. Uh, so uh, thanks again to all those that were uh, involved in that. All right, we were going to start a new series. And you know me, as your pastor, I, I've said this before, I, I like, I take comfort in a new series. Why? Because I know where I'm going. Each week, and all week long, I had a particular book of the Bible. I thought, this is where we're going next. I'm going to this book, and I'm getting ready, I'm starting to study, and I'm getting I'm getting my head wrapped around the outline, and what am I going to do the next several weeks? And, and I kept just feeling like it wasn't right. I just kept feeling like, ah, it's not, it's not there yet, it's not there yet, it's not there yet, and that's because I was going the wrong direction. Uh, and God had for me to speak to something else this morning. Uh, and occasionally, more often than I like, he does that and says, you know, i got something else for you to do uh, this morning. And so uh, the new series will have to wait. And actually, the, the funny thing is it, it, I had a whole outline for weeks to come that was going to lead right up to Easter. And that whole plan is, is probably not going to work now. So, um, But God knows what he's doing. Amen. Uh, it doesn't matter if it's last minute. He says, get up there and, and preach on something else. It's going gonna, it's gonna to work out because... Uh, because he's he's in it. Uh, so duty calls this week, though. And uh, you won't be surprised at all to hear uh, that I'm going to be addressing the elephant in the room. And actually, it's a very tiny, tiny elephant, microbial elephant. Uh, and that is the, the whole uh, talk about the coronavirus, the COVID-19 infectious disease that is uh, circulating. And no doubt if you're on social media or just on the Internet in general, you have heard more than you wanted to hear about it. I think there's more memes and more uh, more talk with this than Jeffrey Epstein, uh, even, and there's quite a few of those. Uh, I thought that, that would never die out, but uh, I need Ed's drums. Uh, that's terrible. That's terrible, but I didn't even mean to do it, Tim. I didn't even mean to do it. Um, but no, it's, it's all over the place, right? You've seen it a million times, and you may be tempted to allow in your spirit some fear to creep up. Uh, and so uh, I have seen two wildly different approaches to handling this uh, idea of, of this coronavirus, this COVID-19. And they're at polar opposite ends of the spectrum. The first one is this. The first one is a panic and hysteria. Uh, the kind of stuff that drives you to go like an angry mob, go to Walmart, and fight over the last roll of toilet paper. So the whole world's in panic, and, and it's not without complete reason for it. We understand some of the reasons the world is in a panic. We're going to get to that in a moment. But panic or hysteria, we've called this uh, a pandemic, but others are calling it a panic-demic because of the hysteria that's going along with it. You know, it's funny, I, I, if you've ever seen the, the movie Men in Black, have seen that? A funny movie. Uh, going back a few years to get this, but uh, you remember Will Smith's character sitting next to Tommy Lee Jones on a bench? And he's just finding out that his new job is in this extraterrestrial like police force, uh, and to 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 control the aliens that have invaded Earth. Uh, and and Will Smith's character says uh, to Tommy Lee Jones' character, his boss, he says, you know, why can't we just tell people? Why why so clandestine? Why so secretive about this? Why can't we just tell people? People are smart. Aren't people smart? And he says, no. He says the person is smart, but people people are dumb, panicky and dangerous, and you know it. 
We have a tendency to mob together and we take on the collective mind of the mob rather than the individual mind of the person that never would have taken on that opinion. And so the first, uh, the first approach has been panic or hysteria. Uh, the second approach, equally dangerous probably, and that is this, the, the Jedi hand wave, that it doesn't exist, that it isn't a problem. You, you no longer have to worry about that. Did that work? Raise your hand if that worked. Did, you no longer have to, for a few of you, I should talk to you after service. Uh, it shouldn't have worked. For my next trick, they're going to give me a cup of water. But the other thing is the Jedi hand wave dismissal of this is not an issue to deal with at all. And the key for the Christian, I actually have a glass, thank you. <laughs> good. Now's a good time for a sip, right? I appreciate that, Lisa. Um, but in all seriousness, the key is to be balanced, right? The, the, the Christian response ought to be the balanced and uh, measured approach. And so if I can get the next slide up there, oh, sorry, up there. Other slide. Uh, back one, please. So the, the title of the message, Seeing Through the Fog of Fear. You thought I was out of 2020 vision sermons. You thought that. And, and, and just when you thought I was, I couldn't, he couldn't take it any further. I go and take it one step further. And today we're going to try to see through the fog of fear, a Christian response to COVID-19. Uh, you know, uh, Paul told Timothy, a guy who's getting ready for ministry, and I'll tell you this, that when I was a kid, I, I, you may have heard this before, but when I was a kid, about 8 or 10 years old, I prayed, God, I'll do anything you ask me to do, just don't call me to do this. Just don't call me to preach. I'll do anything you want me to do, I just can't do that job. What does God do? He calls me to preach. And uh, we're still wrestling that out a little bit, because uh, I still get nervous every time I get up here and talk to you. But... Here's the thing. Paul reminded Timothy, a guy who's perhaps scared of what his ministry might call him to do, might require of him. He said, look, God has not given us a spirit of fear. You believe that this morning. God has not placed in you a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and a sound mind. That is a spirit you've been given as a blood-bought believer in Jesus Christ this morning. You don't live in fear. You live in power. You live in love. You live in a sound mind. I have a quote here from Galileo. I love this quote. He says this, I do not feel obliged to believe that the same God who has endowed us with sense, reason, and intellect has intended us to forego their use. So the fact we don't live in fear doesn't negate common sense. It doesn't negate logic. It doesn't negate us being smart about things. I think God put us put a brain between our ears for a reason, right? And so just because we don't live in fear doesn't mean we leave, live a cavalier life. doesn't mean we live uh, without any concern for the person next to us. Or making our guardian angels work overtime to keep us safe. Because we don't live in fear. God has not intended for us to forego the use of the sense and the reason and logic that he's given us as those created in his image. And I think Christians this time desperately need to embody that balanced and that measured approach. There are people losing their minds outside of here, scared to death, and you can represent hope and faith and confidence in God to them. What an opportunity. I'm getting ahead of myself. We actually talked this morning, almost every line of my sermon was brought up this morning in life group, and I thought, 
we should have just recorded this conversation. I could just hit play, and then I'm done. I can sit and watch it. Before we dive into the meat of the message, uh, let's open a word of prayer. Lord, we thank you for this morning. We thank you for everything you are accomplishing through the service this morning. Many churches not meeting today, either because they've been told not to, Lord, or because they think it not prudent to. And Lord, with your permission, we moved forward, believing that it was safe and it was okay to meet in this building, maybe just practicing some distance and, and some careful hygienic practices, Lord, but we don't want to live in fear. And so, Lord, if there's anybody that walked through the doors this morning with that characterizing their mindset, Lord, might they be emboldened by the message that you've laid on my heart? Might they be emboldened by the truth that they find in your word? Might they be emboldened not to live their life in fear? But to walk out here so confidently, so confident in you that people would say, what is different about you? Why are you so confident? Why do you have such hope? And with Peter, we can offer reason for the hope that lies within us with meekness and fear. Lord, and give them the reason. That reason is Jesus. Lord, we're expecting great things this morning and beyond, and I'm, I'm, I'm just anticipating, Lord, that you are weaving together a story where even churches, when they're even shut down, Lord, that your kingdom continues to, to swell and grow. And that nothing is holding it back. The gates of Hades will not prevail against it. Might your word go forth, Lord. Might your people be emboldened to live lives honoring you. We pray these things in your name. Amen. All right, so the reality is this. The reality is I took this quote from a guy named Lou Holtz. Uh, You know who Lou Holtz is? Uh, all my sports fans know who Lou Holtz is. All right, he said this about the athlete in general, and this is very true. You're never as good as everyone tells you when you win, and you're never as bad as they say when you lose. And, and I think that's an axiomatic truth that goes beyond just uh, athletics and sports. Um, I think it's, it, it's an axiom that says the situations we face are rarely as bad as we suggest they are, and they're rarely as good, perhaps, as we suggest they are. Usually what happens, the truth lies somewhere in the middle of the two extremes, Right? The two polar opposite uh, stories and the truth lies somewhere in the middle. There's three versions of every story, right? Their version, my version, and the truth. So uh, we understand that that's almost an axiomatic truth. And we need to be balanced and measured in our response uh, to the thing we have before us. So first of all, it's not as bad as it might seem. And maybe you've been reading all the one-sided articles. You've been reading all the things that say the world is dying, the, si- the sky is falling, and uh, our end is near. And you're, you're going to whatever, uh, whatever place you go for end times prophecies or predictions or uh, whatever might be the case to see, does this line up with my newspaper? Does my newspaper line up with the book of Revelation? Is this anywhere in there, and how does this work out? Here's the, here's the reality. It's not as bad as it might seem. You know, the mortality rate, uh, every, every life is precious in the eyes of Jesus. Every single human life is precious. But here's the reality, is that this kind of pales in comparison to the mortality rate of this situation, 3.7% roughly. You'll see numbers that fluctuate uh, between 2, 3, 4%, but uh, 3.5% roughly. 
mortality rate. That is, it pales in comparison to SARS or MERS or the Spanish flu of 1918. 10 to 20% mortality rate. There was some 20 to 50 million people lost their life in the Spanish flu. So far, we read in the, from the CDC website and other places that are posting these numbers, we see that roughly 50% of those who have been uh, diagnosed or said, yes, you have this disease, you have been infected by this virus, have recovered. And so there's hope in modern medicine is helping people recover from this. They're saying 80% of people, the symptoms aren't even serious. Right? Most of us, if we get it, we're not uh, an elderly or not uh, immunodeficient. If we're going to get it, we might not show very strong symptoms at all, and a few weeks later we're back to, back to health. Only 11% are exhibiting serious or critical symptoms. Compared to the flu each year, where we see 12 to 61,000 deaths annually, ranging from that range 12 to 60,000 since the year 2010. So you might say, you know what, it's not that bad, Jeff. It's not that bad. Why don't we not even consider, why are you even talking about possibly canceling services? It's not that bad. Well, let me speak to the other side of that. It's not that good either. It's not that good either. Here's the numbers that might suggest to you that it's not that good. This is a virus that spreads more quickly than the flu. And they're saying, they're using the word, from the sources I've read, they're using the word exponential, uh, which means it's one person affecting multiple people. And right now they're expecting, they're averaging 2.6 people being infected by every one person that has it. It doesn't take long. You've heard the expression, would you rather have a million dollars right now today or would you rather have, rather have a, a penny doubled every day for like 60 days? I haven't done the math on it, but you want the penny doubled. Trust me on that. You want the penny doubled um, because it's going to be a lot more than the million dollars. That sounds like a lot at the outset. That's how exponential calculations work. There's currently no vaccine. Good and smart health professionals are working diligently. Scientists are working diligently around the clock to change that. But it could be, best case scenario, months before we see one. There's a general lack of readiness in the world today. China wasn't ready. Italy wasn't ready. We are seeing the healthcare system in Italy collapsing under the pressure of all the new cases that are showing up. That's the reality. And right now the numbers actually compare in the United States to those of Italy when they first started. We have at-risk populations. Those are the elderly. Those are the the, the very young. Our at-risk populations. And it's obvious whenever one side or the other of the political aisle is both saying, they're both saying the same thing, you can bet there's probably some truth in it. And both sides of the aisle are concerned about this. Currently 2,700 cases in the U.S., 58 deaths. It's only 2%. But this is 2% in addition to the flu. This is not instead of the flu. This is in addition to the flu. And each one of these lives matters. Might I suggest that if it were Braidwood and the mortality rate, if everyone in Braidwood got infected, 3.7% mortality rate means 200 people gone from this town. And so I don't want to, I don't want to cause fear in your heart. I don't want to cause you to panic. That's not the, the goal here, but we need to take it seriously. We need to have a balanced and measured Christian response to this. One of the things that I said is I don't want to, uh, to the elders, is I don't want to seem less concerned about, uh, people's children, uh, and their elderly relatives than even the public or the state is. And so we need to take every precaution that they are, uh, and, uh, let them know that we care as well. 
But what is the Christian response? You might say, what is the Christian response to this? Where, where does it lie? If it's somewhere in the middle, uh, what does it look like? If we're not to panic, if we're not to go into hysterics, and if we're also not to say, you know, it just doesn't matter, Jedi hand wave doesn't work, what's the Christian response look like? Well, I'd say it's a two-part sermon. The first thing is this, you're taking notes. The first thing is this, don't panic. And the second point is this, love your neighbor. The Christian response to you, I suggest, is that simple. Do not panic, love your neighbor. Do not panic, love your neighbor. Do not panic, love your neighbor. Sermon's over. You know it's not. Because I got all these notes. But I do suggest, I submit to you that it's that simple. Do not panic, love your neighbor. We're supposed to have faith and believe, have confidence. You know, in Latin, it's confide. Con is with, fide, faith. With faith. We move forward unafraid. Because our confidence is not in ourself. Our confidence is in the one who stands beside us. Again, going to 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 7. For God gave us a spirit, not of fear, but of power and of love and a sound mind. You probably heard the song, Fear is a Liar. You heard that song? I love that song. I don't know who sings it. Zach something. I don't think his last name is something, but Zach something. What is it? Zach Williams. All right, we got it. Well, fear is a liar, but it is indeed a liar. And so I don't want you fearful this morning when you came in. I hope you weren't. But I definitely don't want you fearful when you walk out. Fear is a liar. Because fear tells you all sorts of things that are not true. Fear tells you focus on self. Focus on you. Just take care of number one. When, these, when things hit the fan, just take care of you. Fear tells you to focus on yourself. Fear tells you that your survival is the most important thing you could pursue. We are self-preserving creatures, are we not? And, and so again, with, with fear's trajectory is that we're afraid of death. Um, that's ultimately what we're afraid of. And so it, it makes us think that our survival is the most important thing that we could pursue. Staying alive. Another song comes to mind, but I'm going to leave that one alone. So fear tells you that your survival is the most important thing, the only thing that matters. Fear forces you to put yourself before others. You know that? Fear forces you into a position where you can no longer live the Christian ethic that says somebody else is more important than me. Uh, fear drives you to go to the store, and despite the fact that you're young and strong and fast, and that elderly person pushing the cart is not. Fear tells you stock up on the things they can't get now. God help us. If you're stocking up, it should be to give to somebody that doesn't have. Brindy and I happily went grocery shopping. Not much left on the shelves. We happily went grocery shopping and got just what we needed. And we got, I think, one extra thing. I said, we should have something just in case somebody else needs something. Let's pick up one more, one more item of this. But fear tells you that you matter more than anyone else in the room, even that elderly woman pushing the cart that's standing in front of an empty shelf now. You see that picture being circulated on Facebook? It's heartbreaking. But that's the reality of what's happening because we were young and strong and quick and fast and we got to the store before anyone else and took all the stuff off the shelves. And by the time they got their ride, they've been waiting for their, their son-in-law to come to town for a week now. 
By the time they got to the store, nothing's left. But fear drives us to that. Fear tells us that you matter more than the person next to you. The fear is a tool of the enemy. Do you believe that? Fear is a tool of the enemy, not the mindset of the believer. Psalm chapter 56 and verse 3 says this, When I am afraid, I will trust in you. It doesn't mean we don't get afraid, but when we get afraid, immediately our spirit goes to that verse or something like it. When I am afraid, I will trust in you. I will put my confidence, cone fide, I will put my confidence in you. We don't have the spirit of fear. We have the spirit of power and of love and a sound mind for his power. You know, in this context, Paul is talking to Timothy, his, his protege in the faith. Paul is Timothy's, Timothy's spiritual father. And again, maybe Timothy is like me. He's a little bit nervous. He's a little bit gun-shy about going in and saying yes to God, uh, to a thing where you, you stutter and you, you don't speak well in front of people. And God says, I want you to do it anyway. You ever felt God calling you to something you knew you didn't have? You know why he does that? Because when he pulls you through that, you can't take credit for it. And God is glorified by us in our weakness. God is glorified by us in our infirmities. God is glorified by doing things through us we can never do ourselves. That is how God gets glory. We're just tools in the potter's hand. But Paul's reassuring Timothy, have courage to fulfill your ministerial duties. To do the things I've called you to do. Much like Timothy, Joshua, he's taken over for Moses. Joshua chapter 1 verse 9 says this, Have I not commanded you? Be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged, for the Lord your God will be with you wherever you go. I've said before, the Christian is rightly confident, not cocky, but confident. Because everywhere we walk, he's standing beside us. And what, what little kid who has a big brother he's confident in, not walk everywhere with his, his chest out and his, his nose in the air, uh, unafraid of anything. We have infinitely more reason to be confident in God. And he said to Joshua, I've not just suggested this to you, I've commanded you. Be confident, be strong and courageous. Another passage, so fitting, Isaiah chapter 41, verses 10 and 13. Fear not, for I am with you. Be not dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you. I will help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. Verse 13, for I, the Lord your God, hold your right hand. It is I who say to you, fear not. I am the one who helps you. And Jill read Psalm chapter 91 its entirety. But God is our refuge. God is our fortress. What have we to fear? With God on our side. If God is for us, who can be against us? You have God on your side. Who are you afraid of? What are you afraid of? Man, I want to err on the side of too, too bold. I want people to tell me, hey, why don't you slow down, Jack? My name's Jeff, though, so probably not going to happen. But I want people to look at me and say, man, he should be more careful. He should be more cautious. But his trust is in in himself and his own ability to stay healthy or well. Now Jesus reassured his disciples 
In John chapter 14, he says this in verse 27, Peace I leave with you, my peace I give you. I do not give to you as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled and do not be afraid. And that's not a suggestion, that's a command. Do not let your hearts be troubled. Be not afraid. And so we've been given a spirit of power. We've been given a spirit of love. No mistake, this is one of the greatest commandments, right? The two great commandments, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. And what does First John say in chapter 4? It's perfect love that casts out fear. Get out. you got no place here. These people are blood-bought believers in Jesus Christ. Fear has no place here. Love your neighbor. 1 Corinthians chapter 13, probably the most famous passage on love. I've got a graphic up uh, for you. I'm not going to handle in that order, but just so you can see them kind of sorted for you by columns, what love is, what love isn't. First of all, love is patient and love is kind. So love doesn't go to the store to stock up and get mad at a person, curse the person out in front of you who got the last can of ravioli. Or even the last roll of... Does nobody here have a shower or any other way you can, you can clean up? I, I actually thought, you know what, I actually thought this doesn't make any sense. This doesn't make any sense, this toilet paper. It's a, it's a respiratory deal, right? Like, I don't get the, I don't get the connection really, but I thought even if there was, I mean, I could get creative. And so, I started a small business of, uh, uh, bidet conversion kits for your toilet. I'll be available to talk after the service if, uh, That's not true. That's not. You knew that wasn't true, though. But love is patient. Love is kind. Love is not looking to push the person in front of you out of the way so you can get the last item on the shelf. Love does not envy. Love does not boast. It doesn't seek to just be right. At the end of this thing, you might say, wow, I can't believe the leadership of Ignite. I can't believe how panicky they were about limiting services or uh, social distancing or anything else. Uh, And you're just looking to be right at the end. See, I told you, those idiots didn't know how to handle this, and they handled it wrongly. You're just, you can't wait to find out that all your political prognostications came true. And you see people are just so they can't wait to say, I told you so. And pull up their old tweets saying, I was the first one. Love does not envy. Love does not boast. Love is not arrogant or rude. I thought about this one. Um, You are healthy-ish, perhaps. You are young-ish, perhaps. Concerning this virus, just because you are young and healthy and probably won't feel the effects of this virus, should you contract it, doesn't mean that all the people you put yourself around aren't. So love thinks beyond you. Love thinks beyond your situation and says, am I putting other people that I love at risk by being too cavalier in my approach to this sickness? Love is not arrogant or rude. Dare I say love loves its neighbor enough to not get them sick. Love is not irritable or resentful. We have a leadership of this church has some some tough decisions to make in the near future. And guess what? Not all of you will agree with me. Not all of you will agree with the eldership. And all God's people said, well,
But love doesn't point a finger and say, I would have done so much better a job. Love doesn't say, I wish they had done this. Love just uh, abides through it and says they did the best they could. Not irritable or resentful. Love does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices in the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, and endures all things. You know the rest of it. Say with me, love never ends or fails. Wrong translation I had here. You see, there's no, there's no limit, there's no expiration date on love, the extent of love. And we should be showing it in heaps while the world is in panic mode. But we've also been given a sound mind, and some translations have self-control. Now, the opposite of panic or hysteria is self-control. You see the situation, you understand the dangers, but you know who walks beside you and you're not worried. Again, God's not called us to forego common sense, logic, and wisdom, but if God has granted for you to live in courage, in power, and love, then logically it follows that he demands that you consider others. There's no room for self-centeredness. The bottom line is don't panic, love your neighbor. Don't panic. Love your neighbor. Don't panic. Love your neighbor. You know, a lot of people think of this as a real bad time. The glass is half empty or more. I want to suggest to you it's a great time of opportunity. And, and I, I want to see that glass is not just half full, but three quarters full. I can't wait to see how God shows off through all of this. The devil's right now looking at the situation saying, I'm going to cripple these churches. Well, who believes if God's not for that, it's going to happen? It is not going to happen. God is going to grow his kingdom. He's going to grow his church through these times that seem as though they're going to cripple the church. I can't wait to find out how many different ways we find that we can stay in touch and, and communicate. And I'm not saying we're going anywhere anytime soon. We still have to, to meet and talk about that. But the reality is 85%, I think, of churches have closed starting today. We're one of the few that's still open today. But I can't wait to see the opportunity instead of the oppression of this situation. You know, the first thing is this. The first opportunity this gives us is to a a greater uh, frequency and intensity of our prayer, our prayer life, right? You know, the, the president established today as a national day of prayer. We don't have to wait to get started. We start right now. And so I see a great opportunity to storm the throne of grace, to find help in time of need. Philippians chapter 4 and verse 6 says, Be anxious, be worried, be fearful of nothing, but in every situation by petition and prayer, make your requests known to God. He already knows them, but he wants you to say them. We have an opportunity to pray and make a, a... a big deal of that. We have an opportunity, secondly, to reach out like never before to check on our church family. Don't we take for granted each week that we meet here? Like, I'll see Ann next week. So maybe I forget to say anything or send her a text or an encouraging word or, uh, Rick, maybe I don't talk to him because I know I'm going to see him Sunday. Well, maybe we won't be seeing each other on Sunday as much. And so what an opportunity to reach out and get used to checking on people Heaven forbid we pick up a phone and use it to actually talk to somebody. That's like the last use of that thing. That's still called a phone, right? 
But it's the last thing we think to do. Spend an hour on the phone with somebody. Getting to know them better. Asking if they're alright. Checking on the elderly. See if they have all they need. Or you in your haste. If you cleared it all out. And they don't have any of it now. So what an opportunity to reach out. Like never before as a church family. To check on each other. The third thing is this. What an opportunity to show generosity. Where the world shows only covetousness and selfishness. If you stocked up, I'm not trying to guilt you, but if you stocked up, you are now the place I'm looking to be generous when the person sitting next to you runs out of what you have. And not just give of your abundance, but sometimes give until it hurts. That's where real, true growth and spiritual maturity comes when you're willing to give the thing until it hurts. So we have an opportunity to show great generosity while the world is showing great selfishness. We have an opportunity, number four, to be a bastion of hope and faith and confidence in God. People will look at us and say, why are you not concerned? Why are you not worried? Because if it's coming for me, it's coming. And I'm going to do everything I can to not get it, to not be infected, and then not infect other people. But if it comes to me, I know who wrote the end of this book. And my confidence is in him. You show that kind of confidence in God and see if that isn't just as infectious as COVID-19. People are dying for us to make real our faith, not just be hypothetical or theoretical. Because that's the world. what the world believes about us, is it's all just hypothetical. As soon as the rubber hits the road, we, we bail. We have an opportunity now to say, no, this is, this is true. In good seasons and not so good seasons. Our trust and our hope is in the Lord. And the fifth, maybe the most important thing is this. You know, a lot of people are disappointed about kids' sports activities and, and things closing down. But again, I want to recommend to you, just take that opportunity to slow down in life a little bit. Instead of waking up to find your, your little kids are now grown adults, you can look in their eyes and have a conversation with those precious little people. Be okay with slowing down and spending some time with loved ones. Be okay with that. You can see, you can see this as, a, as an oppression or an oppressive thing, or you can see this as opportunity. I think it's chock full of opportunity. Here's something for you. What the enemy means for evil, God will turn for good. And that's the frustrating thing for the devil. Is he can come up with this great plan and, and selling Joseph into slavery, and it's like, well, I got something for that. He's the greatest chess master ever. And he takes those situations that seem to be doomed to failure and he's weaving a story. I can't wait to see what he does with this church and the churches in this area through a thing that many would say, if you don't meet in a building, it's the death knell of the church. I'm not worried. I'm not scared. I think God's going to, I think God's going to build us and mature us and bring us closer together than ever before through this. Because you're going to get on that phone. And my nagging voice is going to be in your head this week saying, Pastor Jeff said, Pastor Jeff said, Pastor Jeff said, and you're going to finally do it. You're going to dial somebody up and say, hey, just wanted to check on you. And you'll find in that person maybe a, a lifelong friend that you never anticipated having. Or maybe you get past a hurt that you had with them before. And we come back to this place more loving to each other, more unified than ever before. Because God did some stuff in us in the meantime. 
what the enemy means for evil, God will turn for good. As your pastor, I want to commit to you. These are some beautiful words from Martin Luther. Uh, Martin Luther wrote this letter. I forget who he wrote it to. I think another pastor, another minister. But he said, uh, this is during the bubonic plague, or the black uh, death, I think it was called. Uh, there's a number of names given to it, but 25 million people died. A third of the population of Europe died because of this plague. And in this plague, Martin Luther said these words as a pastor. And these are my words for you. Very well, by God's decree, the enemy has sent us poison and deadly disease. Therefore, I shall ask God mercifully to protect us. Then I shall fumigate, help purify the air, administer medicine and take it. I shall avoid places and persons where my presence is not needed in order not to become contaminated and thus, perchance, infect and pollute others. And so cause their death as a result of my negligence. And if God should wish to take me, He will surely find me, and I have done what he has expected of me. And so I am not responsible for either my own death or the death of others. If my neighbor needs me, however, I shall not avoid place or person, but will go freely. Because we don't go in fear. You know, in the coming weeks, we may be looking to put together teams of people willing to to advance forward, not in fear, but in confidence in the Lord. And, And yes, perhaps against... The, the word of caution that the government would issue. Say, you shouldn't meet with people at all. But we have hungry people to feed. But we have people that need to be cared for. But we have lonely people that need to be talked to. And that's my commitment to you as your pastor. I will not heed fear. I will not heed those things. I will try to be as Martin Luther was careful about that. So there's no negligence there. But that's my commitment to you. That as we proceed forward, and we are uncertain of how that's going to be, that our ministerial duties will not slow down. I'm going to invite the worship team to come back up and close us out. I thought so helpful this final slide, though. Um, there was a, somebody turned this into an acronym, COVID-19, using Joshua 1.9 uh, for the 19. It says, Christ over viruses and infectious diseases. Isn't that awesome? People are creative, aren't they? They're not always dumb, panicky, and afraid, but... Uh, Sometimes they're pretty clever. But again, in Joshua chapter 1, verse 9, Have I not commanded you? Be strong and of good courage. Be not afraid. Neither be thou dismayed. For the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. Be of good courage, Ignite. You are loved. And God is with you wherever you go. You have nothing to fear. Let's close in a word of prayer. Lord Father, I thank you for this morning. I thank you, Lord, for the fact that while the world trembles at this, and we understand why. We don't want to make light of it. We want instead, Lord, to come to you faithful and obedient to go those places you've called us to go in spite of the dangers, in spite of the fears. Lord, help us to remember always that you are with us there in the fire. To be of good courage, Lord. Might that characterize your people of Ignite Christian Church as we move forward. Not panicking, but mindful of loving our neighbor. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.